Hello, everybody, and happy Halloween. This should be coming out on Halloween day, so or Halloween night. So happy Halloween. We've made it through our week. This is our fifth, fifth recording of the month of October and our 10th episode in total. So, hey, we made it 10 episodes. Uh, <laughs> we're moving at a pretty good pace here. I, I guess we were doing two a week, and then this month we've done five, which is pretty intense. And then after this, I think we'll go back to uh, once, a, once, uh, once every other week instead of every week, because every week's kind of intense. And I want to start doing some more writings. Um, on that note, just a reminder to everybody, we do have a Facebook page. It's Rabid Weasel Reviews. So if you enjoy the uh, podcast, the audio, go listen to that for updates. I also post some writings there and you can keep in touch with us and in suggestions if you want. Uh, but let's do our introductions. I'm Jared, a uh, huge horror movie nerd, and I'm joined here with my brother and sister-in-law. We'll start with uh, Justin. Hello, Justin. Hello. How's it going? Pretty good. If we haven't, we haven't really done um, introductions in a uh, real introductions in a while. So, Justin, if there's any new listeners, do you want to briefly say who you are? <laughs> oh, well, I am brother of Jared Bullock, host of the Rabid Weasel podcast. First and foremost, I guess, husband of Mia <laughs> and fellow uh, panelist of the <laughs> Rabid Weasel podcast. Second, uh, <laughs> um, father of Clemmers. Father of Clemmers, the Boston <laughs> Terrier. Um, yeah, so I am an associate professor at Texas A&M um, for my day job, and I study government and technology, and I host my own podcast, one called Bush School Uncorked, which is uh, set up through the school, and one of my own called Public Problems, so I'm really into podcasts, politics, philosophy, technology, and horror movies so yeah. there we go that's me i think <laughs> all right uh yeah because it's been i realize we hadn't really introduced we've we've gained more viewers in the last 10 episodes so just in case we uh anyone's new we should probably say who we are again uh mia hello mia hey jared how's it going uh going pretty well it's um early afternoon here i know it's late at night there or starting to get late over there you want to introduce yourself, Mia? Sure. So, happy Halloween, everybody. Yay. Mia, um, wife to Justin, sister-in-law to Jared, <laughs> mother to Clemmers, <laughs> the Boston Terrier. Um, my background is in emergency management, and I'm a safety office safety coordinator at Heinz in the greater Seattle area. That's what I do. I love all kinds of things like jared i'm also a nerd um i like comic cons cosplay anime video games all nerd things and horror movies yay i think that's all i got <laughs> yeah, so kind of the idea behind the podcast was that you know i've i've been obsessed with horror movies since i was like 13 years old and the two of you uh i think have always liked scary stuff but you've never been uh anywhere near as obsessed and crazy about it as i have been uh so over the years i've been showing justin a lot of horror movies and we decided to start this up where the idea is every week we take a movie and talk about it that's pretty standard but a lot of times it'll be movies that you guys have never seen 
So it's fun for me to, you know, introduce somebody to these classic movies for, for the first time. We've gone through a lot of a lot of classics, and uh, I also love trash films, B films, <laughs> cult films. So we, we do a lot of classics, and we do a lot. Uh, we we plan on doing a lot of films that are interesting for other reasons. So, but today we are definitely tackling a classic, one of the biggest classics, because it is Halloween. We've been doing all uh, Halloween themed movies, and we saved the most famous for last. This is 1978's Halloween by John Carpenter. A lot of people have seen this movie. Like I said, it's considered one of the greatest of all time. For me, it's not my favorite horror movie. Uh, I don't consider it the best horror movie of all time, but it's probably in the top 10. Very important film. Well, before I do the introductions, I think, Justin, I know you've seen this one. Uh, Mia, had you seen Halloween before? Yes. Okay. Do you guys remember when you first saw this movie? I went through a phase right after high school that I was just gonna, every Friday night, I was just gonna rent a different horror movie. Mm-hmm. And so this is one of the ones that I rented. So that's mm-hmm. when I, it was after high school. It wasn't any time. I, I don't remember seeing it any time beforehand, but you know what? That could be a lie. I could have just seen it on TV too, but I, I just can't remember. That's the most recent memory that I have. Yeah. I can, I have memories of it from being fairly young, but I would not be able to recall the first time I saw it. Yeah, it's probably one of those films that you catch parts of on TV at some point when you're younger. But first impressions, we'll go ahead and do first impressions. I have some background on the movie, but let's talk about uh, what you guys thought. Do you remember what you thought, you know, when you first saw it or how that's changed? Did it change at all watching it this time? What do you think about the movie? I can remember being pretty frightened uh, watching it earlier in life. I have to say in comparison to some of the other films we've been watching, it's less frightening, I think, and less uh, captivating, I think, than some of the other things we've been watching recently. I think I like the pace. I like the, the way it's shot. Michael Myers is, of course, I think... Uh, a a pretty terrifying character. I think the music really makes it for me. I think there are all kinds of plot holes we stumbled across watching, watching this time around. Um, And, uh, but yeah, I think the, for me, the, the, the biggest two takeaways from the movie are the music and uh, Michael Myers himself. Hmm. What about you, Mia? Anything, anything different to say? Um, I think with this movie, the most iconic thing has to be the mask and Michael Myers. I mean, if you haven't seen the movie, you've definitely seen the costume or the mask. But I, seeing this movie around, you know, observing it now with like adult eyes (laughs) compared to child eyes, because you'd just be terrified. I think they, just like Justin had said, really, uh, John Carpenter's uh, music and um, soundtrack for the movie is really great. I think they're just simple instruments, but they really help with the suspense. If anything, it's really, and plus I really like that this is not the, it's not very bloody. It's actually builds on suspense and I really enjoy that. Yeah, so there's a lot to say there. Uh, the score, of course, you both mentioned that is uh, iconic. I think one of the most iconic horror scores ever. 
Um, that was done by director John Carpenter. He did the music on a lot of his films. And The Mask, do either of you know the story behind The Mask? We do, but you should cheer Please anyways. Share. Okay. <laughs> so that mask, uh, I think most, a lot of listeners to this, if you're a big horror movie fan, you, you will know this. But if, you, if you're not, you'll love this. That mask is William Shatner's face. It was a William Shatner mask that they spray painted white. And what, now that you know, you will never unsee it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, that's true. That's all it is. It's just William Shatner's face spray painted white. And there you go. There's your mask. So. And it's really creepy. Yeah, it does. I mean, there's something about it that's just very, um, I mean, it's very blank, right? Mm-hmm. And that's what makes masks scary especially a mask like this that there's no information we're, we're so sensitive to human faces we can tell the smallest difference between millions of different faces and we look to people's faces there's a lot of communication for emotions and intentions and when that's removed it it's it's freaky so that's why villains especially in horror movies they always have their face covered because it's it just takes away information and it throws your brain off so but let's get into a little bit of the background of the movie. Um, we've already said it was John Carpenter's film. This was his third full-length film. Uh, he had already done, uh, I think, what had he done before this? Not Escape from New York. Um, the thing? Assault on Precinct 13. What's that, Justin? I was wondering if The Thing came out beforehand, but it, me was saying no, it came after. Yeah, I think The Thing was 1982, so we've still got a good four years. But yeah, this movie is came out in 1978. It was John Carpenter's third full-length film. Definitely a big movie for him. It changed his career. We've already said earlier that it's you know often cited as one of the best horror movies ever made. Um, it's also considered the first slasher movie. And here's where the nerdiness comes out because I disagree with that. Mm-hmm. Uh, you had had Black Christmas, which is, oh, we'll have to do Black Christmas in December. Let's remember that. Um, but that movie came out in 1974 and to me that's the first slasher movie this was the one that really made slashers become a phenomenon this was Friday 13th of course but uh, that to me is the first slasher movie Um, and this movie draws heavily from Black Christmas even as far as a movie set a horror movie set around a holiday you know where a bunch of young good-looking people get killed off by a crazy person, right? (laughs) So this movie was heavily inspired by Black Christmas. Uh, And if you want to go further back, I always talk about the the Italian Giallo films were kind of proto-slashers in a lot of ways, except they they didn't have the teenagers or young people getting hacked off after acting stupid, but there's a lot of elements in uh, the Giallo films. And if you want to go further back, a lot of people will point out Psycho in 1960. So... The slasher movie doesn't just begin with Halloween, although it's it's very important to the genre. What year was Friday the 13th? How many years did Halloween come out before Friday the 13th? Do either of you know? Yeah, Friday the 13th was 1980, so two years later. Pretty soon after this, they started working on that. Yeah, makes sense. So, and then in the 80s, oh, good Lord, there was a huge... You can start watching slasher movies and just do that for the rest of your life if you want to. <laughs> um, so the slasher genre is one of my favorite subgenres. I mean, I think a lot of people, it's kind of their introduction to horror. I know 
for me it was. I started off with the Friday the 13th films and the Freddy movies. And it's it's a decent entryway into the genre. I guess we should get started walking through the movie. Let's do it. Yeah. Okay, here we go. So we have the opening credits with that famous musical score that gets used throughout the movie a lot. It's wonderful. And we go to, most people are going to know this story, but we go to Haddonville, Illinois on Halloween night, 1963. There's a pretty interesting uh, POV shot, point of view shot of somebody where from their perspective, they're walking around on Halloween night outside of a house and they're looking to the window at this couple that are kind of kissing and flirting and the couple goes upstairs. And then the person who we don't know who this is yet, although you probably all know by now, even if it's your first time watching the movie, it's Michael. Um, <laughs> goes into the kitchen, gets a knife. And then when the boyfriend leaves, he goes upstairs and he stabs the girl multiple times. And then he comes down the stairs, out the front door. We see the parents pulling up. The camera changes and reveals it's Michael, but it's Michael as like an eight-year-old kid, a very young boy. And he's just standing there dressed up as a clown, holding a knife, not moving, looking kind of confused or dazed. And that's it. That's the first scene of the movie. So I have a lot to say about this scene, even though we're just getting started. But what did you guys think about this this opening? I know you'd seen the movie before, but... But we had multiple complaints. <laughs> I I have a couple, um, but yeah, you go first. Uh, to start with, I mean, it's shot from the angle of someone who's like six foot. <laughs> I mean, the angle is like way off. It's not even in the like right ballpark. And then the stabbing scene is like, is, is odd. And after all that stabbing, when the parents show up, there's just this little bit of drip of blood <laughs> on the end of the knife, and that's it. And it was just like, what is going on? Yeah, I agree with all of that. <laughs> hmm. Fair enough. Yeah, I didn't. I guess that that's that's all true. The only thing about the actual stabbing that some people will point out is at one point he's like staring at the knife instead of what he's stabbing. Um, people are like, why are you looking at the knife? <laughs> But, I mean, throughout the movie, it's kind of suggested that Michael is almost curious about what he's doing or kind of confused. Mm -hmm. So that I can kind of let go that he's looking at the knife, you know. He's kind of removed from the situation. He's more curious about what is happening. But, yeah, people point that out. And then you're right at the very end. He There is um, almost no blood on the knife after, like, 20 stabbings. The one thing that bothers me is, so this whole scene takes place over the course of, like, two or three minutes, basically. But it's implied that they go upstairs to have sex and then he leaves after. I mean, she's naked when she uh, when he goes up there. But again, it's like two minutes. That's barely enough time to get upstairs and take your clothes off, much less have even quick sex, get dressed and leave. Uh, so the timing of that is really weird. Mia mentioned that as well. Yeah, like. He, he, they're like, let's go upstairs. And then he goes in and gets the kit, uh, gets the knife out of the kitchen. And then he's like, okay, I'll see you later. Like, what? Yeah. What? <laughs> that was really quick. Yeah, I think these are things you may not think about the first time you see the movie. So in 1978, but since we've all seen this movie, God, I've probably seen this movie. I don't know how many times you, you do start to notice things like that. Like, wait a second. They were only upstairs for about 30 seconds. <laughs> And there's jokes you can make there about teenagers, but still really quick. Um, 
that was the main thing that threw me off. Like, wait a second. He, I didn't think about the perspective issues. I guess that's a good point, but still those, those sort of logical gaps aside, I think this is a really well done scene. Um, it, it wasn't the f- first of all, cause it's one long take. At least it looks like it is. If they, if it's more than one take, they disguised it really well. I'm pretty sure it's one take. The POV perspective from the killer's perspective, it's, uh, it wasn't the first time that was done, but this probably popularized, made it a lot more popular. It sets the tone uh, for the movie to come. Yeah, that's, that's another thing, too. At this point, 1978, most horror movies, it's very common now, but horror movies didn't open with scary scenes or violent scenes. Now it's very common. You want to open up and set the tone really quick. But at that time, you know, things started off like a regular movie and it's slowly built. And in this movie, it starts off like right away, you have a horrifying scene and it goes straight into the scary stuff. Pretty much the whole movie. There is no like half hour buildup where not much happens. So, I mean, it's definitely an influential movie. But then we go to 15 years into the future. It's Halloween Eve. And we have Michael's uh, psychiatric doctor, Dr. Loomis, played by Donald Pleasance. And let's go ahead and just take a moment to say Donald Pleasance is wonderful. He's a great actor. He was in a ton of movies before this. Uh, if you don't know much about his career, check his stuff out. But he's a great actor, and he gives this movie so much. Um, but he's going with a nurse to pick up Michael from the state mental institution for a court hearing. But when they pull up to the hospital, it's late at night, it's raining, and all the inmates are just wandering loose on the yard (laughs) or on the grounds of the hospital. So Loomis goes to check on the gate, and Michael attacks the nurse and steals her car. Okay, I know we're only like 10 minutes into the movie, but let's stop again. (laughs) This is a, a great scene. There's so many great scenes. Because, first of all, there's something creepy about when they pull up and you just see all these people in like white coats kind of staggering around in the rain that's creepy and you don't know who michael is or what he looks like at this point he could be any of them Mm -hmm. you get a good sense of you know how dr loomis is a psychiatrist he's a doctor but he is obviously terrified of his patient um you know he, he calls michael at one point he refers to him as it and the nurse is like can we call him him a person he's like if you say so (laughs) (laughs) and um when he realizes when michael steals the car and is gone he yells out the evil is gone (laughs) he refers to him as the evil um so much of the loomis character if it was any other actor it would be cheesy but donald pleasance does such a great job with it that it's not it's it's effective I don't know. Do either of you have anything different or anything else to say about this kind of opening scene where Michael escapes? When they pull up and they see everybody just hanging out in the rain, kind of like walking around oddly. That's really creepy. They didn't have a lot of budget for the lighting, but the lighting is just so effective. Mm -hmm. Especially during that scene. Mm -hmm. Well, another thing is Michael is Again, we never see his face. We see him kind of moving as he's almost like an animal in this scene. Mm-hmm. He like leaps onto the car and he's, yeah, there's something about it where he's not human, you know, and that's part of the running theme of the movie is like, is Michael a human? Is he a demon? What, what, what is he? Because yeah, he just like comes out of nowhere and he leaps on top of the car and he smashes through the car window with his hand and he steals the car. So there's a plot hole. Maybe uh, I was, 
kind of waiting for one of you to throw that out, but how does Michael know how to drive? <laughs> that gets pointed out later because he's like eight years old when he goes into the mental institution. He gets locked away for 15 years, and then the night he breaks out, he manages to steal a car and drive it a- across the state. <laughs> like 150 miles or something is what the... Yeah, they tell us that in the in a later scene. But uh, so that's one thing a lot of people point out. Like, wait a second, how did he <laughs> drive a car? But I don't know. I kind of like it because the movie. One of the reasons Michael is scary is because he's not explained that much. Um, you don't know what's motivating him, and it's kind of implied throughout the movie. Certainly by the end, that there's maybe something supernatural going on. Like you know, Loomis believes he is evil so we start to wonder if maybe michael is possessed or if he's a demon or if he is something evil supernatural because as the movie goes on he keeps doing things that seem impossible you know so anyways good setup but then it's the next morning back in haddonville where laurie strode our main main protagonist who is played by jamie lee curtis if anybody didn't know it's her debut role uh, is walking to school on the way she meets Tommy, a little kid who is she go- she is going to be babysitting that night. They stop by Michael Myers' old house, which has been abandoned for 15 years, to drop off a key under a mat because her father is a real estate agent. He's going to sell the house. Kind of convenient there, but um, we needed a way to get her to the house, right? And so she drops off the key, but we realize that Michael has made it back to Haddonfield. And he is standing inside the house watching her. And then when she walks away, he's in the street and he's watching her walk away. Now, have you guys, have you seen any of the sequels, either of you? Or the remakes? <laughs> I've seen the, the remakes, the, uh, the Rob Zombie versions mm-hmm. later on. I saw the sequel uh, when she ends up like in the hospital. Yeah, this is, one day we'll tackle some of those sequels because it's a, it's a mess. Um <laughs> But anyways, the reason I ask is because in the sequel that you mentioned with the hospital, it's revealed that Lori is Michael's distant. She's his uh, sister, right? Mm-hmm. Um, not the sister that he killed in the first, in the beginning of this movie, but a different sister. Um, but I kind of, and that becomes a running theme throughout the series of Michael and his sister. They have this thing where he's trying to kill her. But I kind of like in this movie that they're not related and she seems to be almost a random target and either he goes after her for no reason or he goes after her because he just sees her near his house and he just marks her her and tommy from that point i don't know it's, it's just a nice touch that he just picks her for that reason you know either that or randomly but then after that we get um just a lot of scenes. We see a lot of uh, Carpenter's great directing here because there's a lot of stuff that could be really boring, but his camera work is very impressive where even when it's just her walking down the street in the middle of the day, there's something creepy about it because of the camera work where you always feel like she's being watched. Mm-hmm. You know, Even before you see Michael, it just the distant shots, the slowly moving camera angles, it just feels like somebody is watching her, following her throughout the whole movie. And then... Loomis, we get a brief scene where he is trying to convince the head of the mental institution that Michael is going to go back to Haddonfield. This is where we learn that it's 150 miles away. So Loomis is that character that's where we often have in horror movies where he knows what's going on. Nobody believes him, right? (laughs) Um, 
And we realize that Michael has made this drive somehow 150 miles, despite not knowing how to drive. And it's implied that it's just a throwaway line, but some people have said, um, or Luma says, maybe somebody here taught him how to drive. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so again, you can interpret that as just Loomis being a smart ass or maybe somebody <laughs> that's never addressed again, but maybe somebody did teach Michael how to drive. Also without him ever speaking, which I think was what the, uh, the doc, uh, Loomis says in the opening scene is that he hasn't spoken in 15 years. Yeah, that's another thing. After he, um, after he commits his first murder, he doesn't speak for 15 years. And he doesn't speak ever until Rob Zombie's Halloween 2 when he yells die, which was really lame. <laughs> sorry a lot of people i don't hate rob zombies a lot of people hate those remakes and i don't hate the first one and I, I like it the second one was really hated and yeah we're not talking about that movie but there's a there's a point near the end where michael has his mask off and he's finally going to talk for the first time ever and he just yells die and tries to kill somebody like really uh but anyways, back to this movie. Um, <laughs> there, there's a lot of famous stuff here. Uh, Lori's in school and she sees Michael across, standing across the street staring at her. Um, yeah. And then she gets distracted by the teacher when she turns back. He's banished, which he does that. I didn't realize how much this happens until I watched it again this time. He does that like 10 times in this movie where he's somewhere and then he just disappears. It almost gets too much after you've seen it a few times, but... Um, so yeah, there's just a lot of stalking in this first act of the movie. So Michael's following her. Um, he also goes to Tommy's school and follows him, like watches him on around the school. Uh, we meet Annie and Linda. <laughs> and if you have trouble remembering who is who, uh, just remember Linda is the one who says totally all the time. Yeah. Totally, totally, totally. And I, I went to a panel with, with, uh, with those actors Um and I think she said she she did that on purpose. Like she really exaggerated the totalies just to make her character stand out. Maybe that wasn't the reason why, but I know a lot of that was her intentionally throwing in as many totalies as possible. <laughs> I, I don't know. To me, this is one of the weaker points of the movie is Annie and Linda. This um, They're kind of just, they're not really characters. This is where a lot of the slasher tradition of just having generic dumb teens comes in. Some of the dialogue between them, it, it can be kind of humorous, but it's also, I think the weakest point of the movie is these two, these two characters. They're just, yeah. Yeah, Mia was not a fan of Annie. No. Yeah. <laughs> not like a friend. All she did was put her, put um, Lori down. Yeah. So, I mean, I get it. They're supposed to be just naive teenagers, but it's, it's a little bit too much. Like we could have had, um, you know, a little more realistic would have been nice there because Lori is, she's a very believable character, but these two, it was like, yeah, just get, you know, two dumb kids. They're stalked by, again, there's a lot of stalking here. Michael drives by in the car and watches them. Uh, he appears near another a great moment where he appears up ahead behind a hedge and Lori sees him. But by the time they get there, he's vanished again. Uh, <laughs> Another side note, I went to a convention one time where there was a guy cosplaying as this scene, specifically this scene. He was dressed as, yeah, he was dressed as Michael Myers and he was wheeling around a hedge. And so every, he's like 
peeking around this hedge the whole convention (laughs) michael meyer costume yeah it was great like very specific thing to cosplay as michael hiding behind a hedge but i just whoever you are if you ever listen to this this good job (laughs) (laughs) yeah so Lori sees michael standing uh kind of in the garden outside before he vanishes once again and he comes to pick them up pick up Lori. We have a brief scene where, uh, oh, this is another great moment. Michael, uh, Loomis goes to see the, the grave of Michael's sister. And I love the the great, the, um, the graveyard caretaker. He tries to tell this story about somebody murdering their family and Loomis cuts him off. Yeah. <laughs> um, he's like, ah, where are we? I don't want to hear anymore. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but uh, yeah, we realized that we, we realized that someone, you know, probably Michael, has stolen the headstone, his sister's headstone. So that's a creepy moment. Oh, yeah, there's a fun scene where Lori and Annie are smoking weed, driving around in the car. Oh, yeah. And they run, they run into uh, Annie's dad, who's a police officer. Yeah, it's just a funny little scene. There's not a lot of humor in this movie. Well, you know, unless you think the dumb girls are funny. But this is one of those moments where it's just kind of funny where they're like, oh my God, it's my dad. Put away the joint. Put away the joint. Do you think it could smell it? Of course it could smell it. <laughs> I don't want to get too much into this because it's what everybody talks about. A lot is made about the political interpretations of this movie about, you know, the good girl, the final girl. And is, is the movie punishing people for being, you know, not behaving to social norms? But Lori's smoking weed in this movie. There you go. Uh, <laughs> just want to point that out. No, she doesn't have sex or get naked, but she is definitely smoking weed throughout the movie. So, And this scene, uh, the first time I saw this movie, I don't realize that Michael is behind them in the car, following them, this whole scene. Uh, now watching it this time, like, oh, it's, it's really obvious, but I somehow missed it um, the first time I saw it. And also when Loomis is waiting outside the store, uh, waiting for the cop and his dad, Michael drives by again. I don't think I'd ever caught that before, but once you see it, you know, it's pretty obvious. So there is a lot of good directing here. Yeah, Lewis goes uh, back to him and there he just kind of drives around and right behind him. And then where she's, um, they're driving and he's following behind them. Don't fear the Reaper. Just playing. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh, really? I didn't yeah. catch that. Yeah. yeah, they're riding around smoking weed to Blue Oyster Colts. Don't fear the Reaper. That's awesome. Uh, <laughs> Nice little touch, but uh, <laughs> Annie drops off Lori. Basically, they're both going to go babysitting, and conveniently, they're babysitting in the same neighborhood, like three houses away. So this is kind of our setup for the rest of the movie. Uh, Loomis goes with Annie's dad to the Myers house because he he says, "Look, my uh, Michael's going to come back here, and he's going to come back to the, this house. I'm sure of it. So I'm going to sit here and wait for him with my gun." <laughs> <laughs> Um, inside the house. Do you guys remember what they find inside the house? Uh, it's a uh, dead animal, isn't it? Yeah. It's a dead dog. Dead mm-hmm. dog, yeah, yeah, yeah. And you don't actually see the dog, but you don't really need to because their reaction is enough. They find this dead dog that's mutilated, and we realize that um, Michael has killed this dog and has been eating it. We go upstairs and Loomis gives his famous monologue. Uh, I had thought about reciting the whole monologue, but I'm not going to. It goes on for a few minutes, but it's one of the highlights of the movie. (laughs) (laughs) 
but it's one of the uh it's a highlight of the movie where loomis gives his little speech about his history with michael and how he met him as a kid and how he eventually discovered realized that michael was pure evil and he never wants him to get away and again this is where i was talking about if a lesser actor was delivering this it would have been cheesy but loomis just sells it so it's great um Loomis stays at the house waiting for Michael to return. And meanwhile, Michael has turned his attention to Annie. Um, and for the next several minutes, it's sort of like stalking Annie. Uh, let's see. There's a scene where he kills her. In the front yard as Annie goes into the house. It's, it's amazing. She doesn't even see him. I mean, he's like standing yeah. right in the front yard there waiting on her. Yeah. Part of that you can chalk up to Annie being dumb or Michael being you know, his supernatural stealth abilities. Um, but he also has another good scene where Michael has a thing against dogs in this movie. Yeah. You know, uh, the German shepherd who has been trying to let them know, like, hey, there's somebody outside. It finds Michael. Um, the first thing to find Michael is a German shepherd. And Michael strangles it with his bare hands, which as somebody who's worked with German shepherds, um, they're very powerful creatures. <laughs> So seeing Michael just like grab this dog and choke the life out of it is uh, who shows you how strong he is. You know his his again, supernatural strength. And as another like another way of highlighting just his sheer evilness as a character. Yeah, I mean just his his brutality and his complete lack of any kind of compassion because the dog doesn't attack him; it just kind of sees him and is kind of barking and growling, and he just next thing you know he's holding the dog up and he has strangled it to death so yeah he's he's like a machine at this point um but this is kind of the point in the movie to me where it gets a little slow i think the next mm, 15 20 minutes are kind of slow it's basically just them babysitting and annie being annie <laughs> but uh it eventually ends with um Annie goes to drop off her kid with Lori so she can go meet up with her boyfriend. But before she can go, Michael finally catches her and kills her in the car. So goodbye, Annie. Um, <laughs> yeah, goodbye, Annie. Yeah. We need an Annie award for most forgettable character. <laughs> I mean, it, it takes forever. The buildup, uh, well, it's not forever, but the buildup is quite. You know, it takes a little while. Like, she goes and watches, and she spills butter on her clothes. She, she gets stuck in the window. Oh, my goodness. The most ridiculous way to get stuck <laughs> in the window. Yeah. Yeah, it's not a very convincing stuck scene. Like, how did you – her foot gets stuck, and I don't know. But anyway, she gets stuck in the window, and she gets rid of the kid, and Michael kills her. And the only thing I want to point out about this part, like I said, I think it's, it's kind of slow at, at this point in the middle of the movie, but – did you guys catch what movie they're watching? The the kids are watching a horror movie on TV. Um, nope. The thing from something I can't remember now. Yeah, they're watching the thing from another world, which is what John Carpenter would remake a few years later. So, it's a little bit of trivia there. Um, this isn't. I mean, it's not bad. You know, it's just a, a little slow i think the setup for this movie is so great with michael escaping and the stalking and then the ending is so exciting but at this point the movie just seems a little a little slow it's kind of fun because it's halloween and the kids are scared and they're watching scary movies but yeah just a little slow but anyways annie's gone 
and um, Tommy, the kid that uh, Lori is babysitting, he sees Michael a couple times. And I have a little problem here because the first part of the movie established that Lori is seeing Michael uh, and she's kind of paranoid because she's seeing him everywhere. But she completely dis dismisses Tommy, who is also seeing Michael. So that's a little out of place. But anyways, now it's Tommy's turn to see Michael and nobody believes him, right? <laughs> um, but there's another, oh, there's another funny scene here where Loomis uh, scares off some kids who come up to the Myers house on a dare. <laughs> and he, he pretends to be like a scary voice scaring the kids off. And it's, I don't know, it's funny. It's also kind of creepy, but the look on Loomis's face after he scares off the kids, he's just, he has this weird little smile and he's so self-satisfied with having terrified these children. <laughs> Yeah, I don't know what's going on there, but it's a funny moment in the movie. Uh, <laughs> and now Linda, uh, Linda's back. Uh, Linda has been thankfully gone for most of the movie at this point. Uh, sorry, sorry, everybody. But um, uh, <laughs> she shows back up with her boyfriend. She goes to the house where Annie was babysitting. Of course, everybody's gone. Um, they learned that... Annie and the kid, kid are gone, so they basically just help themselves to the house. Um, hey, free place to have sex, right? Uh, and I like Michael going after Annie more. I feel like this is the part of the movie where things kind of pick up pace a little bit. Um, do you guys, I'm talking a lot, do you guys have anything to say about this next scene where Michael goes after um, Linda and her boyfriend? No, Jared, you're doing a great job. Keep going. Uh, <laughs> well, let me let me tell you what I thought. What happens next is that Michael goes after both of them. Uh, we get the scene where Michael bursts out of the door and he kills um, Linda's boyfriend, nails him to the door. Again, I think this is a lot better than the other the earlier kill because. Again, you see his like brutal strength. He lifts the guy up by the neck and holds him against the door and he like uses the knife to literally nail him to the door. And then we get that the famous Michael Myers head tilt where there's just the movie just stops for a minute and we see Michael just kind of like tilting his head like a confused dog or an animal, you know, and look, yeah. A very terrier look. Yeah. Yeah, it's you know, it's, it's not explained and you can interpret it how you want, but me, I've seen it. Um, well, there's a couple different ways people have looked at this one. People have seen it as Michael being still kind of like a child, you know, and not really understanding what he's doing. Like he's almost kind of confused about death and what's happening. Um, other people have seen it as him being sort of fascinated by it, you know, where he's, you know, just sort of looking at his, almost admiring his artwork, if you will. So I don't know, like, what did you guys, what did you think about the, the head tilt? I think it's mostly him kind of like really admiring the work. Mm. I that, that's what it comes off to me. I think that kill was the most like, um, to me, like really creative strength kind of show of a mm -hmm. kill, aside from the dog. You can just see the dog's little feet hang, dangling down, but that was like pretty intense. I'm just like, yeah. like, 
I remember being like, that can't be physically possible. He can't still be hanging up there with that knife. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, me was yelling about the, the physics of it. <laughs> yeah, I don't, I don't The other know. thing that's, that's kind of fun about, I mean, kind of creepy about it is Michael just comes out of nowhere. I yeah, mean, he burst out of the closet. And then, bam, there's Michael pushing up against the wall. Like, it was just very very sudden that gave you the sense that like Michael could kind of get you at any moment. There was no lead up. It was just bam. And he was against the wall. That becomes, I'll bring that back up in a moment, but yeah, I, I think this is where, where the movie starts getting really good again, because yeah, like you said, he just burst, burst out of the door. He nails the guy to the wall. You have this really weird scene where he's just sort of like checking it out, you know <laughs> what he's doing. Then it gets even better because when he goes after Linda, this is one of my favorite parts of the movie. He's pretending to be Linda's boyfriend. Yeah. Um, he's first of all, he's wearing, um, he's just wearing a white sheet over his whole body. He looks like a really cheap kid's Halloween costume. Like he's dressed up like a ghost and he's also wearing um, her boyfriend. Yeah. I forgot his name. It doesn't matter. Uh, <laughs> it is Paul. Oh yeah. Paul. Oh, Cause she keeps yeah. Paul, Paul, give me a beer, Paul. Yeah. I think. Uh, but yeah, so he comes in, he's wearing the sheet and he's wearing Paul's glasses over the little holes for the eyes. Mm-hmm. And it's so simple, but it's really creepy because he comes in the door and he's just standing there in that costume and breathing. she, yeah, just breathing. That's another thing we haven't mentioned throughout the whole movie. All you ever hear from Michael is like his breathing. It's <laughs> really creepy breathing. I think you hear a couple yells of pain when he gets hurt, but it's mostly just him breathing. <laughs> um, so this scene is kind of distracting because of how dumb she is like after a while i mean she does get suspicious right but not suspicious enough (laughs) she just thinks it's her boyfriend being a jerk um but yeah this part to me is interesting because up until this point michael has killed in a very stealth fashion and very quick and very brutal um but this scene he just walks in and reveals himself you know, and stands there and watches her while she tries to figure out what's going on. I don't know. It just, it stuck out to me because of how different it was. Well, then it also does kind of come all at once too, though, because she never realizes it's him. And then he attacks her all at once in the, in the same kind of way. Cause she goes to make the phone call to call, um, uh, Lori. Lori, yeah, and uh, while, you know, while she's on the phone with Lori, he just comes right at her and yeah. uh, kills her. Um, so it was, it was still kind of like, like sudden in that way, even though there was a little bit of a build to it. So I would like to retract my previous statement about. <laughs> Can I do that? <laughs> um, sure, so sure. I'll allow it. Actually, now that I've thought about it, I actually do feel it's more of him being like playfully child than like stone cold like looking at my artwork because a lot of the things that he does is that he messes with them so much like he'll tap a door close a door kind of like like a kid would when he's because i remember when she goes and washes her clothes annie goes and washes her clothes he'll like close the door and then we're like tap it and then she'll go and open it and then he'll go in it like one position and the other and i feel like he's just playing and messing with them especially highlighted when he dresses up as a kid version you know Mm -hmm. with the blanket 
Yeah, I, I agree. That's how I interpreted it. Uh, that scene where Michael's looking at uh, at the boyfriend stabbed to the wall as him being almost kind of curious or like you said, playful. He is he is pure evil, as Loomis keeps reminding us, but he's also still a child in some ways, you know. So yeah, that's that's an excellent point. But yeah, like you were saying, Justin, he stands there for a while, but she decides, like, okay, my boyfriend's being a jerk. I'm going to call Lori. And she turns her back to call call her on the phone, and then suddenly he comes behind her, and he strangles her with the uh, telephone wire. Um, for those of you who don't know, telephones many, many eons ago had wires, and they were attached to a wall. Uh, <laughs> we're old enough to remember that. You guys remember when phones had wires, and you had to be near the phone? So, yeah, anyways. I remember when uh, a cordless phone was like the thing. Yeah. It was yeah. like a battle because if it didn't get put back on the charge, oh, yeah. it would die. Yeah. And yeah. oh no. <laughs> uh, nostalgia. <laughs> <laughs> so he, um, yeah, there's kind of an interesting moment where she's talking to Lori, and Lori thinks that because of she's you know she's like moaning as she's being struggled and uh, strangled and Lori thinks she's receiving dirty phone calls as a joke or but she's not sure by the end of it she's pretty sure like okay she's in trouble but there's a kind of a weird moment there where uh, you're not sure or she's not sure like is she in trouble or did she call me during sex right <laughs> she also thinks it's annie yeah, because Annie called her, I think, the first time, and she was chewing and didn't answer. Yeah. And she thought it was a creepy guy watching her. Yeah. yeah, that's right. We didn't mention that. I kind of skipped over it earlier in the movie. She gets a call, and this is where she's really freaked out because she keeps seeing Michael. She gets a phone call, but Annie is, has her mouth full of food, and she thinks it's a, a dirty phone call. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah. So it kind of makes sense why she's confused here. here. She thinks, like, ah, she's doing that crap again, and she is the kind of friend who would do that twice, right? Yeah. Uh, <laughs> but we're getting close to the end here. Dr. Loomis notices the um, uh, everyone's everyone's dead, right? So it's time for Michael to turn his attention back to Lori. So Dr. Loomis notices the car that Michael stole from the hospital. So he decides uh, instead of waiting at the house, he's going to actually go out and look for Michael. And Lori go, decides to go across the street to see what's going on, make sure everybody's okay. And when she gets into the house, she goes upstairs, and there's a really great visual here where she finds her, she finds the body. I think it's Annie's, and you know, Linda's body. Anyway, she finds one of their bodies laid out on, on the bed, and she's dead. And there's a pumpkin that's lighting the room over to the side, and then the, the gravestone that he stole is at the top of the bed. So he's made kind of like a, a homemade grave for her. It's really, really weird. Um, then she finds she finds her other dead friend and she finds the boyfriend who kind of like his body falls. That's, that's one thing that always weird, kind of a dumb moment in horror movies where somebody's body conveniently falls down at the perfect time. But <laughs> anyways. That was a, a very good jump scare because it did scare me. Yeah, there's only maybe, I don't know, two or three real jump scares in this movie. There's the one where they first, Dr. Loomis first gets through the house and the thing bursts through the window. So mm. I don't know. I'll give a horror movie, I think, two cheap jump scares and this movie doesn't go too far with it, but they're well done. 
Uh, so anyways, now Lori realizes, okay, all my friends are dead. <laughs> so it's kind of hard to explain, you know, like a lot of these movies, when you get to the final action-packed climax, it's kind of hard to do it justice with description, but we'll do, I'll do my best. Um, there's a great moment here where Michael's face kind of appears out of the darkness and then attacks her for the first time. And now the final chase has finally started. So Michael chases her back to Tommy's house where she's babysitting. She pretty quickly thinks she's killed him. Um, she pulls like, I guess, a, a what do you call that? A sewing needle. Mm-hmm. Or, and she stabs him in the neck and he falls down. Um, but of course he's not, he's not really dead. Right <laughs> so he comes back after her. She hides in the closet, and this time, when he comes after her, she she stabs him in the eye with a clothes hanger, and then grabs his knife and stabs him with the knife. So, yeah, let's let's take a moment to talk about Lori. You know, we've complained about uh, Linda and Annie not being the best characters, but Lori is a great character. Before I give my speech, do either of you? Mia, what, what did you think about Lori? Did you like her? So I like Lori. I find Lori to be kind of like relatable, you know. Uh, I thought she did a really good job because her scenes where she is really like scared of someone following her and kind of like really, you know, he's stalking her and watching her. And that's, I mean, to some women that is actually relatable. <laughs> Uh, but that's, it's scary scene and she does a really good job, uh, when she's fighting him, of course, you know, when she just stabbed him and sees him on the floor, you know, she's going to think he's actually dead, but you know, this is a horror movie and they get back up. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> uh, but I thought she was a great character. Yeah. I like Lori too. I, um, she, she's kind of got the girl next door thing going on, got a level, cool head, trying to watch out for the children, you know, not being distracted in the way that her friends are. So, yeah, I, and she does this, this scene when uh, Michael Myers is, is trying to get her in the closet. I mean, she looks very terrified. I mean, she mm-hmm. does the looking scared um, really well. Yeah, I think she's she's written well, and Jamie Lee Curtis does a good job with the acting. Mia mostly said it, but um, she makes two mistakes here, and they're mistakes partially because we're horror movie fans and we, we know their mistakes. Um, she doesn't make sure the, the killer's dead, and she hides in a closet, <laughs> which you trapped yourself, right? Um, but despite the those, which are, you know, Everybody out there, if you've ever been in a really high stress situation, you don't think clearly always, right? Um, but despite that, she's very, and the fact that she's very, as Justin said, convincingly terrified, she's still very resourceful and she fights back. She's scared, but she's never reduced to, you know, a damsel in distress type, right? Mm-hmm. Um, in this situation, you would be terrified and it's, she does act that way, but she also is very brave and resourceful in fighting back. So unfortunately with Lori, um, this kind of sets up the slasher trend of the virginal good girl survives and the bad girls who have sex die, right? And 
that was never John Carpenter's intention. John Carpenter was very much, uh, and still is, <laughs> um, very progressive left-wing kind of guy, old-school hippie. Um, and he did not want to put across the idea that sex was bad and should be punished. That was not his intention. The point was that they were distracted and vulnerable. That's why the sex scenes are there. One, they're distracted and not realizing what's going on. And you're very vulnerable in that moment. So that was his intention. But unfortunately, um, for years after that, everybody goes, ah, horror movies say that uh, if you don't have sex, you live. And if you're a bad girl, you get killed. Well, that was never the point. But so I had to complain. I went to film school uh, for a couple of years. So I have to complain for a moment there. Uh, <laughs> so unfortunately, though, after I was just talking about her being courageous and smart, she makes two more mistakes. Um, <laughs> she again doesn't make sure that Michael is dead. I mean, she stabbed him this time, but <laughs> she again doesn't make sure he's dead. And the worst sin, she drops the knife. She drops the knife. Why did you drop the knife? Um, but she sends the kids across the street to get help. The kids run out the door screaming. <laughs> and this, get this gets Dr. Loomis' attention. And we have another one of Michael Myers' famous moments where he's in the background and he suddenly just sits up straight you know it's really don't turn your back to the killer but yeah yeah you know the second time i could understand thinking he's dead because she has stabbed him in the eyeball potentially in the brain of the clothes hanger and stabbed him with a big knife um the first time not so much because she just hits him in the neck with a big needle you know that wouldn't kill you but uh, <laughs> um so we're, we're right here at the end like, like i said Loomis now realizes where Michael is. He goes in inside. Michael attacks Lori from the back, starts strangling her. She manages to knock off his mask, which distracts him long enough for Loomis to come in, shoot Michael point blank, as they say, like five or six times, knocking him back, calling him to fall out of the house onto the ground below. But uh, we get the great line of, was that the boogeyman? As a matter of fact, it was. <laughs> um, when then Loomis goes to look out the window or look down at the ground and Michael has vanished again, like the 10th time in the movie, he's, he's just vanished. Even though at this point he should definitely be dead. <laughs> um, so, and that's how the movie ends. We get a few, it's a great ending. We get a few shots of like the house, then of the neighborhood, just empty shots with Michael's breathing growing louder and louder, kind of implying that he could be anywhere. And then the movie ends. <laughs> so anything to say about this ending that I didn't already say? One of the things that I, I caught this time that I had forgotten is in the final uh, fighting scene right before he's shot by Dr. Loomis, or, or yeah, by Dr. Loomis, his, his mask actually comes off and you actually get a decent, like, I mean, it's shadowed, but you actually get to see his face, mm -hmm. um, which I didn't remember that being in the first version. Uh, I, I, didn't remember, I didn't remember that from this film. So that was kind of uh, interesting and, um, yeah, it's a pretty intense, it's a pretty intense final scene there. Yeah, um, you see his face, which is, and he looks, well, it, it's very short, so you don't get time to look at it for too long, but his eye is also messed up from where he got stabbed in the eye, so that makes him look even creepier. Yeah, 
So, and I like the fact that we see that Michael has a thing for hiding his face, right? Even in the the first part of the the very beginning of the movie with him as a kid, we didn't mention this, but before he kills his sister, he puts up picks up the mask and puts it on. Um, and then when he goes, of course, he robs the store and he's wearing the uh, William Shatner mask up the whole movie. He puts on the ghost costume before he goes and kills uh, Linda, I think. And then here at the end, when his mask gets knocked off, it distracts him. And he like he stops what he's doing to put the mask back on. So, yeah, there's this whole thing with him and, and the mask that what works so good about this movie is there's a lot that's implied, but never just flat out stated or in your face about it. So we don't know what is the deal with Michael? Is he, is he just a really strong, crazy person? Is he somehow by the end of the movie, we're kind of thinking, okay, this guy has to be supernatural in some way. Right. Mm -hmm. So I like that the whole movie kind of builds up to, well, you know, what's his deal. And then at the end of the movie, you're like, Oh, okay. There's, definitely something going on here and then the movie's over <laughs> mm-hmm. but yeah i just love that ending the with his breathing growing louder saying that he could be you know i interpret that ending as him being everywhere right now that he survived that and you realize maybe he can't be killed that he is now everywhere <laughs> in the minds of the people who survived at least mm-hmm. anything else to say about this movie i mean there, there's there's a lot more we we could say. Um, it's a classic, but do either of you have anything else you want to say? Jimmy Lee Curtis did great. I mean, um, kind of, you know, another strong woman lead um, actress. Kind of reminded me of Mia Farrow. I mean, she just Jimmy Lee Curtis really carries the film uh, 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 along with you know having Michael Myers in the backdrop. Um, I I like the point. I like some of the camera angles, uh, the point of view stuff early on is great. The way that it's like executed in the way that it looks like he's kind of following her and uh, stalking her is really creepy. Um, so yeah, and it all comes together in a pretty dramatic way. The killings are pretty dramatic as well. Um, so. Yeah, I I really enjoyed it, and um, it's it's nice and it's nice and creepy. You know, like I said earlier, I it, it was such a trailblazer, I think, in lots of ways that juxtaposed right against some of the other films we've been watching. Uh, some of it seems kind of almost basic or or um, almost rehashed, and then you have to remind yourself that like, no, this was the very beginning mm-hmm. of slasher films. Um, but uh, I was I enjoyed watching it again. Yeah, um, I enjoyed the film. Um, I thought the play on suspense was really great. The score really does do a lot of the heavy lifting for the movie. I think uh, the effects are great. Um, I think the mask is just so iconic. And I think it, when they first were doing the script, I think he was called the Shadow, right? Um, mm-hmm. The and shadow I, or the shape. The shape. Uh, there you go. The shape. Um, and but I, you know, even though it's William William Shatner's face painted yeah. white, um, it was so effective because really there's no emotion in it, and that makes it so much more scarier that you can't really identify, you can't see beyond the mask 
or relate to it. And I think as humans, we try to relate to it so much that it just really, it's very unsettling when you can't. And I think it was a great movie. I think the actors did great, um, more Jamie Lee Curtis and um, the, I can't remember the actor who- Donald Pierce? Donald Pleasance. Pleasance, Donald Pleasance. That played Dr. Loomis. I think they did a great job. The other characters, me. But I mean, the movie did a great job of like really putting the suspense and creating an iconic character. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, John Carpenter deserves so much credit for this movie. Um, He directed it, he wrote the screenplay, he made the music. Um, But a couple other things. Well, we also need to point out this was a huge accomplishment for very little money. This was like a small, this wasn't a big film. It was a very low budget film and they created something incredible with it. Uh, And we should also take a moment to point out that uh, Deborah Hill, she needs some credit here. She worked with John Carpenter a lot. She was, uh, she was a producer of this film. She also wrote the, um, co-wrote the screenplay and she worked with Carpenter on a lot of his movies. I've got it pulled up right here. She produced and wrote um, or co-wrote with John the, this movie, The Fog, Escape from New York, Halloween 2. So um, let's, uh, let's give Deborah Hill a quick shout out. Make sure she gets the – John Carpenter gets all the credit, and he deserves a ton of credit for this movie. But let's not forget Deborah Hill's contributions. And – yeah, I mean, it's, it's kind of an intimidating movie to take on, right? Because there's not much you can say about this movie that hasn't been said. <laughs> well, would you guys say that I said earlier, I, I, you know, it's regarded as one of the best movies of all time. I don't consider it the best. It's not my favorite, but probably top 10. How would you guys rank this movie? Do you think it, it is it overrated? I mean, is it? Um, no, I don't think it's overrated. I think it's definitely top 10. I think um, it really does play, you know, like a, a good slasher film with suspense. And it's not like overly bloody. It does the job. And it's definitely a good flick to watch in Halloween. Yeah, I really enjoy it. I mean, it's, it's hard to leave it off a top 10 list because of its influence. Um, it's certainly not on my top 10, like being frightened uh, as like an adult uh, as we were rewatching it. Um, so I, I wouldn't put it on my, this is the most frightening or this is even the most kind of, uh, intellectually like fr- like um, unsettling or, or any of those things. But it um, it's a classic in the way that like, you know, when we watch the Frankenstein movie, it feels like a classic and just like so many things that came after it are indebted to it. And um, the musical score is maybe, is maybe the, the most recognizable horror movie musical score of all time. Um, I think Jaws beats it. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. But um, this one's close. <laughs> yeah, yeah, close. yeah. So, you know, it's a, uh, it's as frightening. Uh, it's, yeah, so it's frightening. The musical score is great. It's iconic. I, you know, I don't know that I would that it would be on my top ten, but it's hard to leave it off from the horror movie canon because just of just of the influence it had. Yeah, and one other thing I want to point out when we talk about these classic uh, 
classic movies is at least with the monsters like Frankenstein, like Michael, Frayson, uh, Frayson, Freddie, Jason. Um, <laughs> they're so, you know, your whole life before you see this movie, you know, you, you've seen these characters and you've seen them parodied in all kinds of places. So it loses a lot of power. But, you know, imagine seeing them for the first time going into theaters and not knowing what to expect and then seeing Michael for the first time having never seen that mask knowing nothing about him yeah and again it does all this with very no gore no gore extremely little blood I think it uh and again just to listen people are if you're hearing us talk uh you know just describing it you can't do it justice film is a visual medium a visual art form so I remember years ago thinking about this movie and going, yeah, I've seen that. It's pretty good. But then watching it again, as I understand more about the art form of film, it just is a masterpiece. The way it's shot, the music, it's, you know, you're really sucked in. So Halloween, it's a good movie. If you haven't seen it, uh, yeah, you should definitely have seen this one by now. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, that's pretty much it. Just a couple last things to say. Um, if you didn't know, this movie start, uh, started a huge franchise. I believe there's been 10, 10 more movies in the series since then. Uh, let's see here. Two of which, and this franchise is a mess, a huge mess. We could do a podcast just talking about the mess. That this, this franchise, it gets really hard to keep up with. But two of the movies were Rob Zombie remade the first one and did a sequel to his remake. Uh, Halloween 3 doesn't have Michael at all. It takes place in another dimension. The original ser- original run of sequels that feature Michael get really confusing. There was H2O, which um, ignored all the sequels except for the first two. Then there was a sequel to that. Then recently, they started the series back up again, which ignores all the movies except for the first one again. And it's called Halloween. So it's a sequel. It's a sequel to a movie called Halloween called Halloween. I don't know. It was okay. Um, and yeah. they're about to put out, they've confirmed two more of those. So pretty soon we will be up to 13, 13 total uh, Halloween movies. So yeah, it's, it's a monster. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I was uh, growing up when we were looking at it, I was like, Oh, they're going to come out with another one next year. <laughs> yeah. We watched the new one, didn't we? The new Halloween. Oh yeah. yeah. Did we watch it together? I think we may have watched it together. We may have, yeah, we may have seen that one together. I liked it. It was fine. It wasn't, um, you know, it wasn't incredible, I don't think, but it was was pretty good for what it was. Um, Two more are already confirmed. I think the second one was supposed to come out already, but 2020. Um, So, (laughs) and uh, yeah, and who knows what else will happen um, with this franchise. Just just keep it going. My thing is I get kind of tired of... um, like with the Friday Thirteenth, that's probably the slasher franchise that I'm the biggest fan of, and they remade that, remade that. And they're always talking about remaking it again or rebooting, not remaking, I should say. But I'm like, look, we had ten movies, well, eleven, where Jason becomes a zombie, he fights a psychic, he goes into outer space, he fights Freddy Krueger. Just keep it going. It's crazy. Just keep it going. <laughs> but. I've seen uh, Huh? It's not very good. <laughs> Which one? The space one. Oh, Jason X. Jason in space. Yeah, yeah. 
That's Michael hasn't been to space yet. That's when your slasher franchises have officially gone too far because Jason's been to space. Pinhead's been to space. Even Leprechaun has gone to space. So uh, we still haven't gotten Freddy in space and we still haven't gotten Michael in space. Um, <laughs> come on, people, make it happen. Yeah, that's how I feel. Um, these It gets so ridiculous and has been so ridiculous. Uh, just go with it. It's fun, you know. Um, why do we have to restart everything? <laughs> but... Um, yeah, back to Halloween. That's where we're at right now. There's a new continuity where uh, it's Jamie Lee Curtis ignoring all the sequels except for the first movie, and she's fighting, continuing fighting Michael Myers, kind of like what they did with H2O. But uh, again, so I'll keep watching them. Yeah, I like the stuff. Goodness. Anything else to say about this movie before we give our – no, that's that's it. <laughs> yeah. Whew, okay, so coming up next, ha again, happy Halloween, everybody. This is uh, five, huh? Oh, no, we were just saying happy Halloween. Oh, yeah, happy Halloween, yeah. Um, five five podcasts in one month. That was that's pretty intense. Good job, everybody. <laughs> yeah, we made it through. So next up, we're going to um, – go back to our regular schedule every other week and we're going to go back to rotating our movie choices we left off with justin's choice which was justin what's our next our next uh, podcast going to be on uh the invasion of the body snatchers yes and i don't know what year it came out although i probably should know but yeah just it as um it's an early film that explores people's minds being taken over. Um, so I thought that would be fun to, to explore. Yeah, Invasion of the Body Snatchers, that's 1978. So actually, same year as Halloween. Uh, well, I should say we're doing the 1978 version. Um, it also is a remake of uh, a 50s film, which we'll get to at some point, but we're doing the 1978 version and then after that it'll be either my turn or mia's turn again but uh check out, yeah. <laughs> we've just been working through halloween movies yeah yeah we got a list we got a list and a plan so everybody um leave us a comment if you check us out on our facebook page check us uh, on our uh, our our podcast page oh we have a sound soundcloud obviously you're probably listening to this on soundcloud pretty soon we're going to have a spotify up I'm working on getting a Twitter and eventually a WordPress. So leave us some comments. Let us know what you thought. Um, leave requests for movies to cover. If you have a good comment, we'll read it on, uh, read it during the podcast. Yeah, so I'd like to get more, uh, more interaction with some of the listeners here. So, all right, everybody, 10 episodes. Good job. Thank you very much. Been a lot <laughs> and, of fun. Here's to 10 times 10 more. Yeah. 10 times. Which is That's 100. A, that's a hundred. Good job, professor. That's coming from um, the math or the stats teacher. Yeah. <laughs> times 10. <laughs> okay. Happy Halloween. Goodbye, Happy everybody. Halloween. Enjoy your frights. Take care. <laughs>